One week from, or two weeks from today, we are going to be in the mountains worshiping Jesus, Lord willing, in the snow. Yeah. <laughs> Every parent in here is like, please don't. No. We are continuing uh, in the book of Ephesians. We're in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. And the title for today's sermon is Hopeification. You guys have all heard of that, right? It's a word I made up this week. And hopefully it'll make some sense as we go through the sermon a little later on. But we're talking about hopeification. Ephesians 1.18. I'll be teaching and reading primarily from the Christian Standard Bible. So let's read. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Church, this is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we, we're so thankful that we can gather together, that we can gather freely without the worry or danger of persecution, that we can gather openly, that we can sing loudly. And God, it is good for us to come together in your presence and worship you. Lord, as we open your word now, we acknowledge that this is not just a book. It's not just words on the page. It is your living and active word. It is for us and ultimately for your glory, God. And so we ask you by the power of your spirit to lead us and teach us and instruct us and change us as we submit ourselves to your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, last week, we looked at the first few words of this verse, and we talked about the Apostle Paul's prayer, where he's asking God to enlighten the eyes of the hearts of these Christians who are living in Ephesus. And we talked about the real darkening of our hearts that accompanies things like deception or lies or sin. And we saw Paul praying for Christians to be enlightened, that somehow these followers of Jesus in Ephesus— they were experiencing a darkening of their hearts, and they were in need of God to flood their hearts with light. And I think we're all able to relate to this. Uh, I think we've all, from time to time, been deceived or uh, fallen into our own, believing things and pursuing our own desires and believing things that the culture puts out there as being desirous and true. And perhaps We've taken our eyes off of Jesus from time to time. We start focusing on and living for other good things, and some of these things are good. Or maybe we've just let our guard down, and some of us have fallen back into old patterns of sin. Now, there are many ways that we tend to invite darkness or allow darkness to have a place in our hearts, and there are things that cause confusion. They, they eventually causes fear and anxiety when the reality of who we are and who God is in our life becomes darkened. Our hearts grow darkened to the things of God. Any deception we permit into our heart, any false way of thinking or patterns of sin can darken our mind and darken our heart. And any and all darkness that we allow in can dim our perspective of what is good and of what is eternal. The darkness that we let in makes more dim the things of God. We start to forget we forget about God's goodness. We forget about God's ability. We forget about God's desire to work in us and with us. 
We forget about God's incredible love and mercy, and our hearts become dim. And sometimes our hearts can even grow callous to the things of God. And so when we start to see ourselves in this kind of dimly lit manner, we start to see ourselves apart from God. We start to see ourselves apart from God's love. We start to see ourselves apart from God's power, apart from God's provision. And we start to see ourselves alone. And as darkness descends on our heart, as the things of God become more obscured by this darkening of our hearts, we find ourselves in a dark world competing for approval and competing for a place once again. And the first big consequence in our hearts as Christians now, mind you, in our hearts and in our lives as Christians, the first big consequence of a dimming heart is that we quickly, we rapidly lose hope. When we let in the sin or deception or false identities into our heart, we can lose hope as God's children. Our identity as God's chosen children can become dim and dull and possibly even forgotten. And so Paul prays for Christians to have the eyes of their hearts enlightened to their true hope. And he prays for true hope to be restored in the eyes of their heart. He prays for true identity to be rediscovered. The New Living Translation translates our verse this way. It says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called. Paul is praying for Christians to understand that it is a confident hope, that they wouldn't be darkened to this confidence, to this real hope. In church today, we get to join in with this ancient move of the Holy Spirit in praying the same prayer for Reality Ventura, we would, that we would know the hope, the hope of our calling, the confident hope as children called to God in Christ. And so what is this confident hope that Paul's praying for? It's important for us to understand the difference between the hope that Paul's talking about and the hope that we see in culture. Our, the hope that we have in our culture is actually very similar to the hope that Paul would have been addressing in Greek culture. Um, and it's, it's basically that people try to muster up an idealistic perspective, or muster up an optimism, a sense of, of optimism. Hope in our culture is really optimism. There might be a little bit of truth to the hope that we cling to outside of Christ, but, but it really is just optimism. And so we have to jump from one hope to another as the things in which we place our optimism or our hope, the object of our desires, as they either fade or we acquire them and they no longer hold value to us. And so our culture is one that jumps from hope to hope actually requires a tremendous amount of faith to find new hope once again and to be motivated once again by a hope that is apart from God. Now, what makes this especially sad in our culture, and we see this around us, is that everybody longs for hope. Everybody needs hope. We were all, we're all searching for hope. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, we're all living from one hope to the next. And when we get to a point in life where we can no longer find hope, and we enter into this place that is, it's like the, the worst place imaginable for a human, and that is a place of despair. Hope is necessary for us. When hope is lost and despair sets in, as the saying goes, we have nothing left to live for. And so we need hope. We were made by God to hope. We are creatures that require hope. We were made by God to hope in Him, in fact. Hope and our need for true hope is central to our identity as human, as made in God's image. And the psalmist reveals the, the ancient remedy for a discouraged heart or a hopeless heart 
in Psalm 43, 5. He says, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Savior and my God. The psalmist always returning to true hope in life. Because apart from God, when we live our lives apart from God, humanity survives on an imitation hope on its own. It's like drinking cups of creamer, right? Junior high, you know what I'm talking about. Those little cups of creamer, they, they, they don't need to be refrigerated, right? It's like, what's in that? Nobody knows. It's like drinking that instead of drinking milk. It's an imitation thing. It's, it's not going to do you any good. It's like eating Fruit Loops, right? You're given a bowl of fruit and a bowl of Fruit Loops, right? It's like choosing the Fruit Loops over the fresh fruit. It's, it's not real. It's not a true substitute for the genuine article. Optimism is not a true substitute for true, genuine hope. Now, it might fool us into thinking that we have some hope, but there's no substance to it. It's phony. It's fake. It's false. God made us with hearts and designed our hearts to rest in Him. Therefore, our hearts are restless apart from Him. God made our hearts in the same way to hope in Him. Therefore, we are hopeless apart from God. The desire for true hope is so strong that we tend to try to find hope in whatever we can. We tend to try to find hope in anything, in everything, and often misplacing it in in lesser things, in temporary things. And all of us, even before we put our faith in Christ, we were totally hopeless. The Bible says that apart from God, we are a people without hope. In Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul actually says that at the time when you were without Christ, you were without hope, and you were without God in the world. It's a, it's a dismal place, a dismal picture he's painting. And so non-Christians find a form of hope in the world and in relationships around them, but it is not an actual hope. It is, at best, a strong sense of optimism. It's not a real hope. It's not the genuine article. And so what we long for is real hope, a historic hope an unchanging hope, a hope we can point to. Christians have a real hope. Christians have a historic hope, a historical hope in the person of Jesus. Jesus really lived and taught and healed. Jesus really was innocently arrested and accused and tortured and crucified out in public And he really did raise from the dead. His crucifixion was witnessed by hundreds of people, and it was recorded into secular history by non-Christian historians. Jesus' life and death, it tremendously affected life in Jerusalem following his crucifixion. How do we know that? Well, it is recorded by non-Christian historians, written into secular history. It's been maintained by secular historians for 2,000 years now. Jesus was a real man who really walked, who really taught, who really died, who really rose from the dead. The crucifixion site, the empty tomb, the Roman court where he was tortured, the Mount of Olives where he prayed, every city he went to, the the baths that it said that he went down and healed people in, that historians over the years are saying, well, there's no such thing as that. Well, guess what? They're discovering them and they're finding them. You can go and visit and see where Jesus walked. Jesus is not a fairy tale that we try to believe in. He's not like some political fantasy that we irrationally hope for. Jesus isn't just good vibes or or a hope for peaceful relations between people. Listen, Jesus is God who came to earth and lived as a real historical man. That's the reality of what we believe in. 
But it's not just the historical reality. Jesus fulfilled hundreds of prophecies, hundreds of things that were predicted hundreds of years before he lived. He lived and taught and performed miracles just as was prophesied. He predicted his own death and his own resurrection and even predicted the timing of his resurrection. And his predictions all line up with ancient prophecies that were made hundreds, even thousands of years before he ever lived. Think about that. It was predicted that Jesus would live, teach, offer himself as a sacrifice for others, and die. Jesus actually came, was born, lived, predicted his own death, and predicted his own resurrection, and guess what? He pulled it off. He did what he promised he was going to do. This isn't mere optimism. This isn't an unfounded hope. This is a historical fact and supernatural salvation, and it is also an offer of real, substantive hope. There's substance to the reality of Jesus. Every heart longs to hope. Every life is longing to cling to a more sure hope. And finding hope in Jesus is what we were created for. This is real hope. We were made to put our hope in God. So Paul is talking about this, this idea of a New Testament hope, as theologians put it. I've just kind of presented more of a, like an historical uh, apologetic for the hope in Christ. Paul is speaking a little more theologic, well, a lot more theologically here. So what's the hope that Paul is praying for? And um, I just found the perfect one-sentence way that this guy who's older and smarter than me puts it this way. He says, hope is a confident, joyful trusting and waiting for God to work out his plan for our good in his glory. There's a lot there. Hope is a confident, joyful, trusting and waiting for God to work out his plan for our good and for his glory. See, that is the hope, that, that confidence, that joy. That's the hope that is dimmed and obscured by the darkening of our hearts. Real Christian hope is a confident hope, a trusting hope. Real Christian hope is a joyful hope. Confidence is vital to our hope in Christ. We trust God and we find confidence in Him. And joy, likewise, is vital. We have joy because our hope and confidence is in God. And so, therefore, Christians, we need to check ourselves when we start living joylessly. It's, it's hard to think that we're hoping in God when we mope through life or we complain our way through life or we criticize our way through life or criticizing our way through relationships. We should pray for joy as we hope and wait on God. We're not called to a joyless faith. Hope is this confident, joyful expectation as we wait on God. And we can find a true hope in God because God has proven himself to be faithful. We can find confidence in the face of adversity. We can find true hope in the face of ambiguity that's in, in our culture. We can rest in hope and have confidence in God because He is strong, because He is faithful, and because He is true. And so to be real clear when I talk about putting our hope in God, all of our hope as a Christian is in Christ, right? You know that. All of our hope is in Christ. That's why it's called Christianity. It's like Christianity. So Christ is the object of our hope. All of our hope is in Christ alone. What I mean by that is it's not in, like, finances in Christ. Our, our hope isn't in, like, relationships in Christ. 
Our hope isn't in the health of our children in Christ. In Jesus, we are saved from hopelessness. In Christ alone, we are saved from lesser worldly optimistic hope. All of our hope is in Jesus. And we have a confident hope because it is founded on God's eternal plan. Remember just, well, it's just a few verses ago, but in like preaching time, it's actually a few months ago. Uh, in verses 4 and 5 in Ephesians 1, Paul said this. He said, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing himself bringing us to himself, excuse me, through Jesus Christ. See, our hope is confident because it's grounded in eternity. It's not merely a fleeting optimism. Our hope is grounded on the will of God. God chose to do that. God purposed to do that. Our hope is joyful because it is anchored in the love of God. God was compelled and motivated by his love to choose us. Some of us might hear this today. And you might see my point. You're like, yeah, no, I'm a Christian. I get it. But God has done these amazing things throughout history. I see it in Scripture. He's proven himself as Savior. And some of you might be saying, yeah, I am a Christian. I'm not worried about the past. But it's hard to have hope for the future. Some of you are facing some real stuff in your life. Some of you are entering a new season of your life where it's hard to find hope. Where where the, the things that maybe shored up your Christian faith have deteriorated. And now you're, you're feeling off balance, perhaps. It's not that you're not a Christian. It's that you're having trouble finding hope. I sat with this for a while this last week. And as I was praying, and I just want to share a little bit of a testimony. I realized that it's when I read the Bible, I see over and over again how God has proven himself faithful. And that's how I've got through the hopeless times. But here's what convicted me as as the Lord really impressed that upon my heart. You hear how I started that sentence? When I read the Bible. See, the challenge is when I'm in a hopeless season of life, it almost always coincides with a season where I'm either too busy or too distracted to sit with the Lord and be in his word. And, And that's, I know, in my life where the darkness seeps in. I lose hope for the future when I forget about God's promises and faithfulness in his past. God has been faithful, and he proves himself to be faithful. And his promise to us is to remain faithful. So we have to see that God is trustworthy because he has proven himself trustworthy. God has a perfect track record. And so we trust God for our future based entirely on his past track record. God is trustworthy. And so our hope isn't a mere optimistic or wishful thinking about God. Our hope is a confidence that God will continue to be faithful. Listen, the things we face in life are real. And our hope and our assurance is in the fact that God's past record proves his future faithfulness. Unlike the hope that our culture hopes for, God does not cause us to forget or allow or cause us to ignore our current troubles that we face. Our hope in God enables us to confront our troubles and to face life head on with confidence and with joy. Christianity is not escapism from life. Christianity, following Jesus, is empowerment for life. We are more than conquerors, the Apostle Paul will adamantly tell us. Brothers and sisters, we don't hide from the world. 
We don't medicate ourselves or put our heads in the sand. We face the world and we face the troubles of the world with confidence and with hope. Hope in our calling. That's what Paul is talking about in our passage because God chose us in Jesus before the foundations of the earth because the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is alive and is in us. Amen? And so we live with hope and we face life with confidence. It's not a confidence in ourself. It's not a confidence in our resources. It's not a confidence in our ability. We face life with confident joy because our hope and our confidence and joy is in Jesus who's proven himself faithful. So back to our passage. That was an exciting aside. Paul is praying for Christians who had lost their right perspective on these truths. They'd, they'd lost perspectives of the reality of God's faithfulness. They had lost sight of their hope in Christ. They'd lost their confidence, perhaps, in Christ. It seems that their hearts had grown dim and dark. Maybe cobwebs had formed around it. Things became unclear or muddled in their heart. And Paul prays for enlightenment. Now, much like these ancient Christians, as our hearts darken, Our heart and our hope are are tied together. As our hearts darken, our hope dims. And sometimes it's just something as simple as we've allowed doubt or we allow fear or darkness a seat at the table of our heart. We've invited something in that distracts us from God or, or pulls our attention away from the hope we have in Christ. Whenever we permit anything like that in, whenever we give a place for fear, we can forget our hope. When we forget our hope, we forget our identity. And if we're not very careful, if we're forgetting our hope and we're forgetting our identity, we might actually return to old patterns of thinking. We might return to old patterns of striving just like the world strives. We might go back once again to trying to find hope like the world searches for hope. And when we forget our true hope, we tend to search for scraps of hope in worldly things. For example, when we consume like the world consumes— in other words, placing stuff and experiences over God. Or when we compete like the world competes, desiring power and position and wealth over God. Or when we think like the world, we're searching for validation and acceptance from others rather than searching for those things from God. Or maybe we just start acting like the world. We start pursuing sin over righteousness. Here's the point. When we act like the world, we begin to hope like the world. And our true, vibrant Christian hope in Jesus can dim to a mere flickering optimism again. At this point, we can go right back into asking the same old, sad, dark questions that we used to ask. And it breaks my heart when I meet with a Christian. And and the opening line is, man, can I ever find acceptance in life? Their heart is so dim to the reality of who they are in Christ. Or they ask questions like, can I ever be forgiven? See, they've lost sight of the cross. Or or can I ever be loved? Can I ever have true hope in this life? Our text today is urging us to understand this confident, this true hope that we have in Jesus. True hope in the face of real difficulty. True hope in the face of real adversity. And so we're going to jump into Romans chapter 8, and this is where I'm going to plead my case for this doctrine of uh, hopeification here. Okay, hope. Uh, Romans 8, starting in verse 28, 
A very familiar verse to you guys. Every Christian in the world loves this verse. It says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. Now, a lot of people like to stop there and just like, okay, I'm done reading the Bible. I'm just going to put that on a coffee mug and read it every morning when I wake up, right? The passage continues. Look at verse 29. It says, for he knew his people in advance. That's the doctrine of predestination, okay? And he chose them. That's the doctrine of election, He chose them to become like his son, doctrine of sanctification, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Having chosen them, he called them to come to him. Okay, he's talking about us, right? He's talking about his kingdom kids that he's bringing, adopting into his family. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself, doctrine of justification. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory, okay? That is the doctrine of glorification, that we're endlessly blessed in Christ. But the passage continues. Look at verse 31. It says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? See, he's starting to build on our, our hope on Jesus, right? Verse 32, he says, since he did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? That Brothers and sisters, that is the doctrine of hopeification right there. Just like God called you, foreknew you, and chose you, just like he justified you, forgiving you, and setting you free from your sin, just like he's, he's in you, sanctifying you, growing you as a child, just like he's glorifying himself in you. You're shining like a light in the same way he has put a true hope in you. You have been hopeified by God. The same way that you're being sanctified by God. You have a true hope that has been given to you. He's predestined you, purposefully chosen you, justified and glorified you in Christ. You're seated in the heavenlies in Christ, Paul says later in Ephesians. God has done all of this. This is true hope. And our hope is true because it's not based on our behavior. Our hope is true because it's not based on our performance. It's not based on our circumstances. Our hope is true because it's not just based on dumb luck, like so much of the hope that the world has. Our hope is true because it is founded completely and entirely upon Jesus. This is the hope of our calling. God gives us a confident hope in him. The Apostle Paul goes on and on to talk about this hope that that God has given us in Christ. In Jude, verse 24, it says, Now all glory to God, who is able to keep you from falling away. Think about that. You guys awake? Listen to this. This is awesome. It says, All glory to God, who is able to keep you from falling away. He's able to do that. And he will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. How's that for a promise of God? God is able to keep us from falling away, and it brings him great joy to do it. God is able to bring us into his presence, and it brings him great joy to do it. God is able to lead us faultlessly in his sight, and it brings him great joy to do that. God is able to do all this. He doesn't begrudgingly save us. He doesn't reluctantly listen to our prayers. We don't just barely make it into heaven, right? We're not snuck in as illegal or illegitimate citizens of heaven. We're not smuggled in. 
God is able to do all of this, and he does all of this for his kingdom kids with great joy. And what that means, Christian, is that our hope in Jesus is good because it does not depend on my ability to be faithful. It does not depend on my ability to stick with God. Our hope in Jesus is good because it is completely dependent on God's faithfulness and God's ability and God's willingness to stick with me. Our Christian walk is not about our ability to be faithful. Jesus is faithful. Jesus is faithful to us, and he's able to keep us from falling away. It's not the other way around. We're not able to keep ourselves anywhere right. We are brought into God's presence, blameless and with great joy, and we're brought into our Father's presence by Jesus. That is who we are, Christian. Listen to Paul's confidence in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He says, I am sure of this. Man, I hope that that in your heart right now, you're praying to God, give me this confidence. Let me be able to say, I am sure of this. Listen to him. He goes, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Man, not only is God able to do this with great joy, but he doesn't give up on us. He doesn't give up on us. That's good news. God has not given up on you. Just look up for a second. You, you, you need to, don't miss this. Those of you who have been walking with Christ for a long time, you need to hear that God has not given up on you. The expression, all hope is lost, is never a valid expression out of the mouth of a Christian. God's not done with you. There is true hope for you today. God's not willing to let you go. Listen to these words. At the end of the Great Commission, Jesus makes this amazing promise, and he says it to his disciples who are all gathered up on that hilltop on that day, but he's making it to his disciples, and he's really making it through his disciples to the church throughout all of history, which means if you are in Christ today, this is a promise for you. Jesus said, remember, okay, key word, remember, because that's what happens when our hearts get dark is we forget. It grows dim. Christian, today, remember, Jesus said, I am with you always until the end of the age. Our calling is to Jesus, and we walk with Jesus, empowered, enabled, accepted, loved, sent with Jesus into the world. Now, if you're not a Christian today, I will admit that this sounds crazy, okay? No other faith makes such claims. No other faith has any true historical evidence for its promises, so it doesn't make such claims. Nobody, apart from the love of God and Jesus, thinks or hopes in this way. But God is faithful, and his word is proven, accurate throughout history. Scripture told us, remember, in great detail that Jesus would come as a baby, for example, and he did. History tells us that. Scripture told us in great detail that Jesus would walk and heal and bring God's kingdom to earth, and he has done that. Here we are 2,000 years later, the kingdom of God growing. There are more Christians in the world now than ever at any other point in history. God's kingdom has come to earth. Scripture told us that Jesus would be crucified for the sins of the world, and he was. Scripture told us that he would rise from the dead, and he did. Listen, Christian, Scripture tells us that he is returning for his bride, and he will. 
Scripture tells us that Jesus is always with us, now until the end of the age. And if you're in Christ, he is. This is Christian hope, a true historical move of God. Our hope is rooted in the Word of God that has stood for thousands of years. Our hope is grounded in something firm and sure and true. Uh, Maybe you roll your eyes at my fanaticism over Scripture. Fair enough. But listen to me. What do you have to hope in? What are you putting your hope in? What historical move, movement, are you believing in? Culture is training us to doubt and disregard the Bible. Our kids are not even allowed to be taught any truth, no truth whatsoever in public schools anymore. It's illegal. It is no wonder that Christian hope is floundering and darkening hearts. We are starved for the truth. Christians are starved for the truth. Show me some other truth with a track record that you can count on. The truth that convinced me to walk away from the Lord when I was in college and too smart for my own good has changed three different times now since my freshman biology class. Three different, three different versions of that truth now as it is evolving and changing Just imagine how much that truth has changed over the last 2,000 years. The Word of God has not changed. The promises of God has not changed. The power of God towards those who believe has not changed. Amen. Jesus, Jesus came to earth as promised, lived as promised, died as promised, raised from the grave as promised. He's seated in victory as promised, Christians. And he is seeking and saving, and he is changing people. Listen, I am not the same person I used to be. And it is not because I got smarter. It's because I became a child again. It's because I was adopted by a good father. God is empowering men and women whom he has called to himself. This is not mere optimism. This is based on God's faithfulness. Okay, some of you are like, oh, when's he going to get to the second half of the verse? Here's the second half of the verse. (laughs) I got excited about the first half, okay? We're God's inheritance. That's the second part of what Paul is. He's praying for enlightenment, that we see this hope, and and that we would understand this, this bit about being God's inheritance. And he says that we would know what he says is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Guys, we're his inheritance. You hear that? The, the language there? Now, like, when, you're, when your grandpa dies and you're hoping for an inheritance, you better hope that it's something better than me, okay? But I'm God's inheritance. There's, I hold value to God. Listen, God has invested tremendously in you. God has pursued you since before the foundations of the earth. You are valuable to God. We are His inheritance. We hold value for Him. It's not just the other way around. It's not only that God holds tremendous value for us. We hold tremendous value to God. He loves us. And listen, God is wise and He's faithful. And He will return for His inheritance. He will keep His inheritance. He will invest in His inheritance. He will grow His inheritance. He will nurture His inheritance in the saints. And so, we see this hope that we have. It's really kind of a a threefold hope. We hope in God's faithfulness that we see throughout history in Scripture. 
That's the first thing. We also hope for God's presence with us now as He's promised. Also seen in Scripture. The, the third way we hope is we hope for God returning to gather His special possession. This e- eternal nature of God getting called into that and swept into that, which is revealed in Scripture. So we hope in a God who loves us and values us and has proven His love toward us. And He's done that by sending His own Son. He sent His Son Jesus to live and die and rise from the grave in new life for us. And we find hope in God's gift. We find hope in God's love. We find hope in God's sacrifice. And so we receive with hope this gift from God, and then we live with great joy as we enjoy Jesus. Our joy in Jesus is founded on, is initiated by God's joy over us. And I love this passage in Zephaniah 3. It reveals so much about God's love and joy for us. In verse 17, it says, The Lord your God is among you, a warrior who saves. He will rejoice over you with gladness. And then it says, He will be quiet in His love. And then it says, He will delight over you with singing. So you have like this, this, this still, quiet thing. It's like a stillness sandwich, right? Where you have, like the bread is like rejoicing over you with gladness. And then you see the, the bottom bread is, we'll delight in you with singing. It's like literally twirling about, like getting all excited over you. But it's that second to last line. It says, he will be quiet in his love. It, it's, it's not just this big emotional rah-rah thing that we get together and we get all amped up and we go out into the week and it falls flat because it's not real. God meets us in the still quiet places, in, in the doubt that we harbor, in the fears that we harbor. In the things that keep us awake at night, God is in those things. God has a real intentional purpose to meet us. And it's not always in the big loud worship gatherings. Oftentimes, I know, especially in my life, especially recently, it's been the opposite of that. It's been in the still, quiet moments where God, I just hear and just be like, just be, be still, still your heart. It's in those moments of stillness when I'm able to experience and remember and receive and enjoy the fact that God is God. It says in Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. It is good for us to know that God is God and remember that we are not. Be still. Receive the joy of your Father today. Snuggle into the warmth of your Father's joyful affection for you. It is like my son Shem climbs up on me literally will climb on me with my hands full as I walk in the door because he knows that I want to snuggle him. I'm not going to throw him down, right? I'd be like, bro, come on, I got all this stuff, right? I'm like, what stuff? I drop that stuff and I grab him up. Man, your father has better affection for you than I even have for Shem. We are God's rich inheritance, Paul is saying. He rejoices over you. He is satisfied with who you are in Christ. Remember that passage that we studied a couple months ago, Ephesians 1, 5, and 6. It said, God decided in advance to adopt you into his own family by bringing you to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. God wanted you. God wanted to do this. 
You are intentionally chosen. God choosing you gives him great pleasure. God rejoices over you. God is a good father who loves you. And it's a deep, intense love. It is a love that pursues and doesn't give up. God wants to enlighten the eyes of your heart to know and see and receive and embrace and walk in the true hope of his love as a true child of God. That is what Paul is praying. The truth is that you're God's possession in Christ. The truth is that we have real hope in Jesus. And the reality of God's enlightening the eyes of our heart is to know the hope of his calling and the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. We would see the hope that we have for life, and we would see the value of our lives in Christ. Because it gets so dim by our performance and our bad decisions. Today, we need to ask God to enlighten our hearts. Christian, if you believe in Jesus for salvation, you already have this hope. You've already been hopeified. Today, you need to be woken up. Maybe today this hope is already yours, but you're not walking in it. Maybe you've become darkened to it. Maybe this hope seems limp or powerless against the true difficult things that you face in life. This is why Paul prays for the hearts of Christians to be enlightened. Paul is praying. He's not saying, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, Christian. He's not saying, psh, psh, wake up. That's not what Paul's doing. What's Paul doing? He's praying. He's asking God to do something about this situation of darkness in our hearts. Listen to that. You hear that? He's, he's not saying, stop being naughty. Stop doing that. Well, you need to work to get rid of that. Stop doing that. No, he's saying, God, enlighten, open the eyes of their heart, the mind's eye, the way that we see God when we think about God and we feel and know God, the way we relate to God. Paul is saying, man, flood that with light so there's nothing in between. It's not a pull yourself up by your bootstraps exhortation. It's a get on your knees prayer of desperation, saying, God, I need you. I found myself trying again, and I came up short. God, I need you. In light of the cross, what do I have to offer? God, I need you. Christian, if you believe in Jesus, this hope is yours. The Christians in Ephesus needed to be woken up to this reality. They needed their hearts supernaturally enlightened. And today, God is calling Reality Ventura to wake up supernaturally. It's a work that God wants to do in our hearts. Wake up to who we are in Christ and what we have in him. This morning, we need to ask God to wake us up to show us his glory, to show us our place in his kingdom. Not just like, oh, I'm called to do this Monday through Friday, and I go, I'm so important, and I do all these busy people are depending on me. That's not who you are in Christ. Who you are in Christ is that little kid that climbs up on his dad's lap and just sits in the presence of his father, basking in his warmth, receiving your identity wholly from the dad who brought you in. And so we pray for God to flood our hearts with this light, to know, receive, and anchor into our true hope. Anchoring into our true hope. That's a a vocabulary taken from Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews in chapter uh, 6. He says that this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. If you're lacking intimacy with God, chances are your hope has grown dim. And today we need the eyes of our hearts enlightened so that we can see God, we can see our place on his lap, and we can have hope, that we can pursue intimacy. This hope is our security. 
It's an anchor when the storms of life rage. Without hope, we're not anchored. We're, we're floundering. This hope in Jesus keeps us grounded when life falls apart. This hope has real power to keep us and hold us in God's love. It has staying power, so to speak. This hope confronts our disappointment. This hope abolishes false hope. This hope abolishes hopelessness. And it's a hope that is ours in Christ. And so this morning, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to, we're going to enter back into the presence of God through worship. And as we do, I want to challenge you, encourage you to sit with God. Sit with God. Know and receive and explore this hope that he has given us. This hope comes by the power of the Holy Spirit, remember. It is a free gift of God. This hope comes when our heart lights turn on and darkness is gone. Romans chapter 15, Paul records another one of his prayers. In verse 13, he says, I pray that God, who is the source of all hope, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Man, doesn't that sound amazing? That we would overflow with, when was the last time you overflowed with godly confidence? When was the last time you overflowed with godly joy? Christian, there is real hope in Jesus for you today. There is real love and acceptance and approval and forgiveness and confidence. There is real hope in his calling. Jesus is calling you to himself, to be with the Father, to find true rest, true hope in him. There's a beautiful invitation that Jesus makes. It's this ancient invitation. Listen, don't miss this. This invitation is for us today. It's Jesus in Matthew chapter 11. It's the light of the world standing there. He can see his physical end in sight. And he says, come to me. All of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. He says, I will give you rest. This is a man that was headed for a cross. This is a man that was heading, heading for mockery and torture. He's saying, come to me and I'll, I'll, I'll give you rest. He says, let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart. You'll find rest for your souls. He says, my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. I don't know where that invitation from Jesus finds you today but I know God is calling us to respond to it. Maybe you're saddled under a heavy yoke. You're trying and you're striving and you're just, you're just disappointing yourself and other people around you. And you don't see how the love of God is for you because you've been behaving so badly. Man, come exchange yokes with Jesus. Come and be forgiven. Come and receive the love of the Father. Maybe this is the first time that you're going to come to Jesus. Maybe today is the day that the Holy Spirit has finally shown you the truth, has finally revealed the truth to you, and you're saying, I'm going to put my hope in Jesus for salvation today. There's going to be people up here on the right or the left that are ready to pray with you and encourage you. Or maybe you need to come to Jesus for the thousandth time, saying, here I am again, Lord. Listen, God is satisfied with you in Christ. 
He joyfully receives you as his son or daughter again today. Come.